0: Oh, church, good morning. It is great to see you. Welcome to Second Service, family of God, brothers and sisters. We're another day closer to home today. Everybody joining us online, you're us as well. We feel your presence. It feels like summer is finally here. Somebody say amen. We've like arrived, right? I mean, Mother's Day, Father's Day, graduation, school, all that's behind us. And now sunshine naps on the couch <laughs> eating too much meat somebody say amen that's all ahead of us that's all ahead of us it's great to see you welcome And you know b- before we move on can I just encourage us you know so often we sing a word that we don't really grasp what does it mean when we sing that God is holy what, what does that mean now There's a a secondary meaning to the word holy, and most of us think it's the primary one. When we sing holy, we mean God is righteous and just and good and pure. In him, there's no darkness or sin or hate or all that stuff that clogs and clutters up our world. And, And it is true that it means that. But that is actually the secondary meaning of the word holy. The word holy literally means to be set apart for, to be set apart unto. And so when we sing that God is holy, what we are recognizing is the greatest thing about him. That he sets himself apart to us who are unworthy. That he he sets himself apart to us. In all of creation, he makes Mount Rainiers and galaxies and Pacific Oceans. But in his heart, in his mind, his greatest creation is what you see when you look in the mirror. And he says, I am utterly set apart to you. I love you. I sent my son for you. You know you're unworthy, but I love you. That's God's greatness, and that's what we say. So when God says to us, be holy because I am holy, what he's saying is I am utterly set apart to you. Be utterly set apart to me. Hallelujah. That's powerful stuff. And that changes all that we reflect on and receive when we sing holy. So that's that's the pre-sermon. That's not the real sermon. That's the warm-up there. But it's good to see you. I feel like a million bucks. I had that virus the last few weeks. You should have been here in third service last week. Halfway through, my voice completely went out. I said, i I like this, and everything. Kind lady came up to me after third service says, Pastor Greg, that's why you should lay off smoking. That's why you should set that aside. It's destroying your voice. But... Uh, it feels so good to be healthy again. Maybe you came through that, but good stuff. Hey, I, I have a few announcements to share with us, church. Then I want to ask you to pray with me, if you would, please, because tomorrow our, our kids, our second through fifth graders, head off to kids' camp, and we want to pray God's blessing and anointing on kids' camp. But a few quick announcements. First of all, uh, after third service today at 1 o'clock, uh, we will be hosting our our every other month Uh, Newcomers Lunch. And if you're new to MRCC, you want to connect, you want to meet some people, uh, you want to meet Pastor Brent, one of our staff members, connect with some other folks. That's what this is about. It's a free lunch. happens at 1 o'clock over in Buckley. Here's the address. You can get that on the website or on the app as well. You're invited. There's no cost. Bring the kids. It's a wonderful time to just connect with some other people. You know, we're scattered all across three services, and there's a lot of us, and it's easy to kind of get lost in the crowd. And we want to prevent that so uh you're invited to be a part of that newcomer's lunch be happening this afternoon also (laughs) i want to clear up the confusion that i mostly created in the last two weeks tomorrow fellas actually is the band of brothers dinner all right it's happening tomorrow night 6 30 here in the sanctuary you're invited bring a friend always a great time we got dinner no cost so 6 30 tomorrow night is the band of brothers men's dinner last one for the summer because in July and August, we take a break. So uh, tomorrow night, 6.30, love to see you there. Um, Also, uh, youth group, uh, youth camp retreat uh, is coming up in just a few weeks. So we want to get your teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers signed up for that if they aren't yet. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, please contact us ASAP. Got to get you logged in, make sure there's a place for you and all of that. If the cost for camp is a challenge, please let us know. We'll work with you. We want to help out, make sure your kids can experience camp. It's a life-changing thing. So that's coming up in just a matter of about three weeks, three and a half weeks. So sign ups through the church office, scan the QR code in the chair in front of you and 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 one last thing and that is that uh, if you want to just say hi let us know who you are uh, get on the list so that you get uh, mailings and stuff that we send out about what's going down you can also scan the QR co- code on the seat in front of you just put in your name and number we promise not to show up at your house do anything weird you can also just fill out that card if you're old school raise your hand if you're old school that's me you can fill out the card in the seat back in front of you uh, and we'll do the same thing but we'd love to get to know you and connect with you okay 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, Uh, the first of the camp team is heading out. People are giving up their week to serve kids. What an amazing thing. We're actually going to talk about that. Jesus is going to talk about that this morning. Let's pray for kids' camp. Would you bow your heads with me? Uh, Lord, we come to you this morning thanking you, Jesus, for the privilege of serving kids. God, as we watch this kids' building go up next door to the sanctuary, and we think of all the little ones that you are going to use that building to reach and teach and reveal your grace to. We think of camp this week, God, it's a privilege to serve kids. We ask that you would pour your spirit out on camp week, on every chapel meeting, on every small group in a cabin, Lord, on every conversation with a leader, on every prayer and, and time of worship, Lord, on the fun times, God, we pray that you would anoint this kids camp lord strengthen the leaders give them guidance Uh, god we ask that you would put your fingerprints all over the souls of our kids lord and to all of us who have given to help other kids go lord we thank you for the privilege of doing that we ask your blessing on kids camp and we pray it together this morning we do it in jesus name amen amen good stuff great stuff in fact Uh, So next weekend, if you see some of the people here looking like they belong on The Walking Dead, those are the kids' camp volunteers that served all week. So be sure that you appreciate them. Hey, grab your Bible this morning, church, if you would, and open it to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, Luke, chapter 9. And we're going to continue together this journey that we began way back in January. Uh, We're calling it a road trip with Jesus. We're going all the way through Luke's Gospel. And the reason we're doing that is because Jesus said that we should watch out for false prophets. We should beware. Not everybody who talks about Jesus is talking about the real Jesus. Paul says the same thing over in 2 Corinthians. And you and I, we really live in the age of the deep fake when more and more... You can't trust what you think you see. And Jesus said, be aware that that's going to happen. And he said, but it's not hard to tell the difference. It's not hard to know the real Jesus from the deep fakes. All you got to do is pay attention to my word. All you got to do is watch the real me in the Gospels. And so we're doing that. We're road tripping with him all the way through Luke. And this morning we're in chapter 9, beginning with verse 46. We're going to move down into chapter 10 this morning. And let me begin by saying this. Sometimes... You've probably noticed this, good or bad, right or wrong, really depends on who's watching, on on who's evaluating, on who's making a judgment. Bruce Thielman writes about his seven-year-old son, Alfred, who came home from school one day in kind of the run-up to Christmas, and he said, Dad, uh, our teacher had us all write letters to Santa Claus, and she said, Mine was the most creative Dad, would you mail my letter for me? Dad was like, oh, that's awesome, son. Great job. And and so as dad got ready to mail his letter to Santa Claus, he thought to himself with a father's heart, maybe I should see why it was the most creative, you know, what's going down with my son. So he opened his son's letter to Santa, and here's what he read. Dear Santa, you did not bring me anything good last year. You did not bring me anything good the year before that. This is your last chance. So, <laughs> signed, Alfred. <laughs> Suddenly, Dad thought, ah, maybe we need to talk about Christmas a little bit, you know. Uh, teachers thinking that's the most creative thing she's ever said. Dad's feeling a little bit different about that. Sometimes, good or bad, right or wrong, depends on who's watching. You know, whenever I think about that, I think about a moment, a story I've shared before. I'll be brief. Bear with me. But it was a story about when our high college soccer team went down to Portland to play George Fox University. Now, I went to Northwest University in Kirkland, small school. And, um, you know, George Fox was a major national soccer power, still is. They were in the top 20, you know, in the country for our level. And so when we down, went down there, I knew we were in for a whipping <laughs> But um, boy, did we get one. So we show up on the field, the game starts, and if you know anything about soccer, you know that getting beat 10 to 1 is getting absolutely destroyed, okay? It's like losing a football game 150 to 3, you know? I, I thought of that game yesterday when I noticed on ESPN the Angels were beating somebody 25 to nothing in the eighth inning. I said, I know how they're feeling, you know? Just absolutely crushed. And it was discouraging, and it was, you know, a bummer and overwhelming, and, and when the game finally ended, <laughs> you know, our team was kind of walking off the field, heads down, feeling rough, you know. And I was actually the team captain, and at that particular game, I was also the player coach because our coach couldn't make it for that particular game. He had to work. And, and so as we were leaving the field, though, I noticed an old guy coming from the stands. He had a cane, cap, he was walking slow, but he was making a beeline for me. He's coming right towards me. And so I thought to myself, well, okay, you know, it's obvious he wants to say something to me. So as the team faded off towards the vans, the crowd dispersed, he made his way to me. And when he got close, he stuck out his hand, elderly man in his 80s at least. He stuck out his hand and he said, can I shake your hand? He says, young man, I've been watching George Fox soccer for more than 40 years. And he said, I have never seen a team conduct itself with a more Christ-like spirit than your team did today. Well done. And then he turned and walked away. I still get goosebumps thinking about that moment right now. I remember walking back to the van and sharing that with all the guys and what a dramatic difference that moment made in all of our hearts and in that day. And I share that story because Jesus comes to us like that old guy came to me and he says, I want you to understand what I'm looking for in your life. What really pleases, thrills, and delights me. Uh, he didn't, that, that guy didn't hike over to George Fox and congratulate them on a 10-to-1 win. He hiked over to us and congratulated us on something infinitely more significant. And the Lord wants to talk to us about that this morning. Because winning and losing in life Depends on who's watching. And Jesus is going to make that clear this morning. So Luke chapter 9 beginning with verse 46. Here's what the Bible says. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Now, be careful because it's easy in this moment to turn these guys into one-dimensional cartoons and think, you know, they're just egomaniacs and everybody's trying to get personal acclaim. There's more than that happening here. The word greatest offers some insight to us. The idea is, is that they were reaching for what pleases God, what God would call great. What would matter most to him? Something's wrong in my heart if I don't desire, as a follower of Christ, as a uh, a sinner saved by grace, something's wrong if I don't desire to please God, to make him proud, or at least to praise the kind of life that I live, or moments in that life. And the disciples are reaching for that in this moment. Which of them would be the greatest? They were talking about, hey, how do we achieve that? How does that happen? What do we emphasize? What do we pay less attention to? And and the problem was that they're falling into a trap that sometimes goes along with that, which is to compare to each other, (laughs) right? We look around and say, well, am I doing better than them? They're doing worse than me. I'm not as bad as them and so on. And we tend to do this in our heads, not so much out loud. And and Mark tells us some of that was happening as well. When he talks about this same moment in chapter 9, he says this. They came to Capernaum, and when he, Jesus, was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. It was a little bit embarrassing, a little bit of you know, self-consciousness that goes with what they were talking about. But at the same time, what they're talking about is a significant, healthy, and real thing. And when you talk about honesty about this kind of thing, I love what the great boxing promoter Don King said. He said, you know, sometimes I amaze my own self, but I say that humbly. (laughs) One of my favorite quotes. Yeah. The disciples are doing something a little bit like that, but there's a sense in which their discussion is an honest and healthy one. Kids want to please their parents. It's natural. It's a response to their parents' love. It's a response to their awareness that they belong to the family. Kids want to please their parents. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes about the difference between the lesser kind of pride and the greater kind of pride. Pride is the sin of the devil, but there's a lesser and a greater part. And he points out that pride in being praised, when you and I want to be praised by the rightful authorities in our life, that's not all bad. That's not all wrong. In fact, what's much worse is when we say, we don't need anybody's approval. I don't need anybody's affirmation but my own. That's where the devil lives. And the disciples aren't there. They're saying, man, how how do we gain God's affirmation? How do we gain God's approval? And knowing that that was where they were coming from, Jesus sets out to teach them. He says, essentially, guys, I hear what you're after, but you're, you're going about it in the wrong way. And he wants to say something like that to us this morning. Look at verse 47. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, knowing what was on their heart, took a little child and had him stand beside him. The word little child means a toddler, so probably three, four, five years old, a little one. Took a little child and had him stand beside him. And then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child or a little child like this in my name, welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me you want God in your life Jesus says he comes into your life when you serve children that's not what our world is saying but that is what God is saying whose affirmation are we seeking and then the Lord said for he who is least among you all he is the greatest. Now, there's a little bit of context to that saying because in that culture at that time, taking care of small children was thought of as the lowest job that you could have in the family. As you grew in respect and, and ability and you know acclaim, you would be promoted out of that job. You wouldn't have to take care of the little kids anymore. Jesus flips that upside down. He said, that's the most important job. That's the most significant thing you can do in the eyes of God. And that's a heavy thing to grasp because the whole, the whole momentum of our culture is in another direction. The whole momentum of our world is in another direction. But God says, here's what I'm looking for, Greg. I'm looking in your life to see where and when and how you welcome and serve Children, here at MRCC, we have a, a passionate statement of faith that says kids come first always. Why we're building this building out here to serve kids first, because we know that a church that does that is most pleasing to God. That caring for the little ones is nearest to His heart. Again, Mark tells us, gives us a little more insight into what Jesus said. He said, "If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all." If you want to be great, Greg, God says you must choose to be the servant of everybody else. And again, the context in Mark 9 of children as an example of that. It's when we embrace that kind of serving, the least and the smallest, what the world acclaims the least, that we most please the Father. My wife is amazing at this. And I'm not just saying that because she's my wife and I'm buttering her up for lunch or dinner this afternoon. The reality is, She's amazing. Wherever she goes, kids gravitate to her. And they gravitate to her for a simple reason. Every time they draw near, she opens her heart to them. She opens her life to them. We live in kind of a little planned community. There's a number of kids there. As soon as Rhonda walks out the door, the neighbor girls walk out the door. They see her and they come over and sometimes she peeks out the window. Are they there? No. And she goes outside. Sure enough, here they come. And every time she welcomes them in, she talks with them, she asks them questions, she involves them in what she's doing. It's an amazing thing. And God says, that's the most important thing you and me could be doing. Do we grasp that? The Lord wants us to. There, there's, there's really two, th- oh, uh, I thought Benjamin Franklin said it well. He said, he that cannot serve cannot command. And Jesus is saying that the road to leadership begins with followership, begins with that willingness to serve, begins with that willingness to take the least job. And so there's two thoughts here. The first is Jesus is saying it's not wrong to want to excel. And sometimes we as believers say, oh, I'm supposed to be humble, so I'm just going to, I'm nobody, I'm nothing, I'm over here in the corner, I don't matter. God says that's a false kind of humility, and it's, in fact, a deep kind of pride because you're saying, I'm not going to go after affirmation. But Jesus says, no, it's healthy when we do that. That's what good and loved children do, but also that the way we do it is wildly misunderstood. We tend to think, here's what we tend to think. Here's how our world operates. We tend to think that the people who get the most attention from other people are the winners. Yeah, a lot of followers, a lot of checks on my Instagram account, a lot of people watching my TikTok. I'm an influencer, therefore I'm somebody. God says, please, give me a break. He says, you know, that's fine and dandy, but if you want my praise, if you want my affirmation, that's not how you get it. I remember when our son Isaiah was little and uh, we lived in Moscow, Idaho and so there was this thing called the Latah County Fair. And if you ever wanted to go to a county fair that feels like you're you're in Mayberry in the old day, I mean the Latah County Fair is it, right? You got the animals, you got a few little rides, you got all the booths. It's 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 so You know, it's so hallmark, you can't even believe it, right? And so when you go to the Latah County Fair, you just can let your kids go, even when they're small. So Isaiah was about seven or eight, and we go to the fair, and he runs off with all the other kids. And uh, I don't know, an hour later, we come around a corner, and we see him with a couple of other kids, and they're at a ride. And the other kids are saying, hey, we don't have tickets to get on the ride. And Isaiah goes, oh, no problem. And he pulls his tickets out of his pocket, and he's giving them tickets. Ron, He didn't know we were there. Ron and I are going, Yes, you rock. That's exactly what we're aiming for. And so seeing that after he got done and came back and he'd used up all of his tickets, we said, son, the way you used your tickets was awesome. Here, have a whole nother (laughs) roll, right? Because we wanted to praise and affirm what he was doing. Jesus is revealing that potential for us and the Father in this moment. God wants you and me to know that he is more pleased when we serve little ones in little ways than when we succeed in big ways. And, and, and if we never grasp that, then Jesus says when we get to the end of this life and step into eternity, we'll be at the end of the line, not the front. He says many who are last now will be first then. Many who are first now. I know I'm going to be way behind the line for my wife <laughs> because of the way her heart is open to kids and a lot of other people like her. Now, there's a, there's a second idea here that we want to grasp before we move into the home stretch, And that's that God delights. Catch this, friends. It's really important if you want to be a mature believer. God delights in what we do in the micro more than the macro. Our world thinks that we change the world from the top down, that when we get power and authority and control, then we can bring about what we want to see. But God says you've got it exactly backwards. He says, I work from the bottom up, and my eye is on what is done in the micro. Let me share a story with you. When Anastasia Elsinger ordered lunch through DoorDash in January of 2022, she didn't expect or anticipate what she got. About 30 minutes after she made her order, a uniformed police officer showed up on her door. As it turns out, her delivery driver got pulled over on the way to her house for a traffic stop and actually had an outstanding warrant. And so Officer Sam Buer had to arrest him and put him in the back of the car. But rather than let her food go undelivered, he decided to go ahead and finish the job. <laughs> and so he brought her DoorDash order to her. And he said, by the way, uh, no tip required. <laughs> I don't need a tip. I actually can't have a tip, so please don't try. According to his police chief, this isn't unusual for him. He wanted to make sure the lady got her lunch, but I know that he also wanted to make sure that driver got paid, even though he was being arrested and taken to the police station. That's just who he is. So the reason we know about that is is that Anastasia put up a video about it on TikTok, and it went absolutely viral. And she says on the video, you know, I've had some bad experiences with police, and it's made me sort of wary. But this guy completely changed the way I see the police. Now I understand that they're really just people just like the rest of us. You see, church, that's how the world changes. And Jesus knows that. And so he celebrates the micro. As all of us reach for the macro, power, control, authority, win the big battles, Jesus says, that's not how we win. Think about the Lord's life, and you'll see that this abundantly clear at every moment in his life. How many times did our Lord and Savior tell people to keep quiet about his miracles? Remember that? Over and over again. Everybody wanted to go tell everybody, he says, don't tell anybody, because I want to continue to operate in the micro with everybody that I meet. Think of how he spent his whole life in a tiny backwater province of the Roman Empire. Israel in those days was the absolute end of the road. It was the Wilkeson of the first century, all right? And Jesus spent his whole ministry life there. You say, Oh, you should go to the power centers. Jesus said, No. That's a road to not seeing the kingdom of God happen. No, the kingdom happens in the micro. Think of how he made it his life's goal. The Son of God comes to earth with all his power, all his authority, all his wisdom, and he makes it his life goal to disciple a few people, just a few, not very remarkable bunch either. But he pours his life into them. Instead of building a mass marketing campaign, instead of setting up a government, instead of taking over, he spends his life discipling a few. Think of how he pointedly turned down earthly power when it was offered to him. The Bible says that at the beginning of his ministry, the devil came and said, I'll put you in charge of all the governments in the world. You'll have all their control, all their authority. And Jesus said, no thanks. That's not the road to the kingdom of God. That's not how we build the father's world. He turned it down. He knows, he does all this because he knows that it's more important to touch a few lives deeply than many in a shallow way. Maybe you noticed, you might not have, but you may have noticed that MRCC, our church here, we, we don't do any advertising. We never, you know, take over the TV or the radio, try to put big banners up, try to put big signs up. We pointedly don't do any of that because we know that God wants Him himself to be made known through us in all the little ways, in the way we go to QFC and the way we drive in the way we relate to our neighbors and the people we work with and the people we go to school with. He wants us to make a difference in the micro. And and the Lord was consistent about this. Again, over in Mark's gospel, same kind of an idea of chapter 12. The Bible says Jesus sat down, catch this. He sat down opposite the place where the offering was put in and watched people putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Jesus sees this, and he knows it's a teachable moment for them and for us. And so calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, Put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus is not saying that those of us who have more can't celebrate being able to give more. There's nothing wrong with giving abundantly. But in those days, the rich often made a spectacle of their giving. They would try to draw attention, they would put out TikTok videos of themselves giving. Hey, look what I did. Ta-da. And they would have trumpet players celebrate it. And they would have criers sing about it. And they would have people, ta-da, here comes so-and-so to make his offering. And and they got noticed for it. And they became famous for it. And they became influential for it. In everybody's eyes except God's. And Jesus says, see this widow? Nobody announced it. What she gave seems like a tiny bit. But the truth is, she gave more than all the rest put together. Why? Because it's the micro that God celebrates. This is a beautiful thing because it means inside of your life and mine. God's not demanding that you make a big splash, that you win all the battles, that you become famous and outachieve everybody else. No, he's looking for the little moments when you can make the big difference, when I can make the big difference. You know, those girls in our neighborhood are growing up profoundly influenced by Rhonda. I see it. I see it when I hear him talk. I see it when I hear him walking around. It's an amazing thing. I'm not achieving that, but she is. Jesus says this kind of moment is a big deal. And he says also that God rewards that moment, that God rewards it abundantly and eternally. Let me share another story with you. CBS News carried the story in July of 2018 about a man named Walter Carr who was hired by a large moving company. But on his first day on the job, his car broke down on the way to the job site. Imagine, bad luck on the first day of work. And since it was his first day, he didn't want to call in and say, I can't make it, my car broke down, so he decided to walk to the job site so that he could help this woman move with the other two members of his moving crew. So he did. 14 miles from his broken down car to her house. And when he finally got there and Jenny Lamy, the woman who was having her house moved, heard the story. She was so flabbergasted that she posted about it on Facebook. It went viral. And the president of the moving company, Luke Marklin, found out about it. And when he found out that this employee on his first day whose car broke down, didn't call in, but hiked on foot 14 miles to do the job, he said to himself, if a guy's going to work like that, I'm going to reward him. And he bought Walter a brand new car so it wouldn't break down anymore going forward. Not a bad payback for a 14-mile walk. And God says to me and God says to you and God says to us, I'll reward you for the little things if that's what you're about if you'll understand that that's what pleases my heart, that that's what I'm looking for. Colossians chapter 3 captures the same idea when the scripture says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Our Father wants us to know that when we think we have to make a macro to serve God, we miss all the micros. When all of our time is spent thinking about the big battles that need to be won over there or the big deeds that need to be done over there, we completely miss the widows, the children, the neighbors, the needy all around us. And it's when we understand that the micro comes first, I have no doubt that my wife's reward is going to be so much greater than mine. She gets this, whether it's at work or in the neighborhood or at home, and it just amazes me to see it. Jesus said that when we micro, we please God most. And then he says one more thing we're going to hear this morning, and it's found in chapter 10. Now, somebody says, hey, you skipped the sending of the 72. That's because the ideas in the sending of the 72, same as the ideas in the 12, same ideas. So we're just moving on past that. But the scripture says that in verse 52 of chapter 9, the disciples who were sent out with Jesus, they encountered a Samaritan village that wasn't open and receptive to them. This is the last big point we want to make this morning. The scripture says, he, Jesus, sent messengers on ahead. They went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there didn't welcome him because he was headed to Jerusalem. The people there didn't welcome him because he was not a Samaritan. He was a Jew. A little background, the Jews and Samaritans had very different ideas about God, very different ideas about what was right and what was wrong, about what was good and what was bad. And they were at loggerheads about it and had been for decades. As a consequence, Jews wouldn't go through Samaritan territories. Samaritans wouldn't go through Jewish territories. Think of red and blue states back in the day. And the Samaritan village that they come to rejects Jesus. They say, hey, we don't want you here. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Jesus, catch this, church. Oh, please catch this. Jesus turned and rebuked them. Guys, that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to destroy our cultural enemies. We're not here to destroy our religious enemies. We're not here to win the shouting match with the people who are wrong about what we know is right. We're here to offer them the good news of the gospel. We're here to invite them to receive grace to get to know the Son of God for themselves, to be saved. That's what we're here to do. So he rebuked them. And and it's important that we understand this moment because when then Jesus turns around in chapter 10 and tells one of his most famous stories, the parable of the good Samaritan, he's telling it right to James and John and right to all the people who feel like James and John. Listen to the story Jesus tells. It begins over in chapter 10 with verse 25 teacher and an expert in the law came to test Jesus. And he said, teacher, what must we do to gain eternal life? This is a guy who's serious about faith, comes to Jesus, and asks a serious question. The Lord responds, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The guy says, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, well done. You've answered correctly. You're right. That's the most important thing. Do this and you will live eternally is the idea. But the man wanted to justify himself. He wanted to perpetuate his particular ideas, his particular sense of right and wrong. He wanted to affirm his status as the guy who's right. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, okay, who's my neighbor? And it's an ironic moment because what he's really asking is who do I don't have to include as my neighbor? Who's not my neighbor? Who can I set aside when it comes to this loving my neighbor thing? And Jesus answered and he tells him a story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, left him for dead. A priest, a priest, a Jewish man of God who knows right and wrong, who knows what's true about God and what's false. A Jew, not a Samaritan, a priest happened to be going down the same road and he saw the man and what'd he do? He passed by on the other side. He said, well, this guy, you know, he's unclean, he's beaten, he's bloody, probably got there because he's made a lot of bad choices in life. So I'm going to pass by on the other side. So to a Levite, somebody who works at the temple, somebody whose profession is religion, we might say. A Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. Don't miss the points Jesus is making. Both of these guys are Right. They know the truth about God. They know who he is. They know what he approves, what he doesn't. They know right from wrong. But in this moment, they're blind. But a Samaritan, Jesus says, and he looks at James and John. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. Now, please understand, when Jesus says Samaritan, he's talking about somebody whose ideas about religion are all wrong, whose ideas about God are wrong, whose ideas about sin are wrong whose ideas about virtue are wrong. A Samaritan came to the place where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. James and John are squirming at this point. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two silver coins, a lot of money in those days, and he gave it to the innkeeper, and he said, hey, look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you if it costs even more than what I'm giving you now. And then Jesus Says to John and James and all his disciples and me and you. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And The expert in the law, he's not dumb. He replied, he says, well, I think it was the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise to your neighbor, to the one near you. To the micro situation at work or next door or in your family or at the supermarket or at the gas station or wherever you happen to be, go and do likewise. Don't miss the point that our Lord is making when he makes the Samaritan the hero. He's saying you can be right about all the issues in your head and wrong because you don't know how to live it out. And he said, a Samaritan can be wrong about all the issues in their head. And if they do the right thing, as Paul says in Romans 2, they are a law unto themselves. Jesus' point is direct. And he says it to everybody who wants to make the culture war an excuse for bad behavior. Jesus says, it's not about left or right. It's about neighbor and need. Somebody can be on the wrong side of the issues and do the right thing that's what earns God's praise. And notice the definition neighbor, whoever is near you, whoever is in your world. It is so easy in this day and age to get caught up in what's happening in the world and completely miss what's happening in your world. And Jesus says the father is watching for those things. He's watching for those little things it isn't the people who have the right ideas that God delights in it's the ones who do the right thing for those nearby let me finish with a story this morning a couple of weeks ago the Wall Street Journal released about a six-minute video you can find it online probably the most moving video I've seen in as long as I can remember and I'm not going to show it to you but you can look it up and the video was taken from a drone camera in the middle of the war that's happening in the Ukraine. And if you see the part leading up to the Wall Street Journal video, you'll see that it's drone cameras taking pictures of their attack on a Russian trench. And they fly over the trench and they drop grenades and guys are killed. And then this one drone flies over this one Roman, so- a Roman Russian soldier. Looks like he's the last guy you see. There's nobody else around. Everybody else is dead. And this one Russian soldier looks up at the drone and he says, I I surrender, I give up, I quit. And you can see the drone operator hesitate. What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? The mission is to completely clear this trench. Here's this one guy here. And then the drone operator contrives a way to communicate with the guy. He flies the drone up and down to say, yes, I decide to say no. They have this little conversation. The guy says, I surrender, I give up. And we watch the drone operator lead this guy along the trench, out of the trench, across no man's land through safety over to the Ukrainian side, carrying the grenade the whole time, never dropping it, but saving this man's life. He becomes a POW, and I'm sure we're going to hear more about him as time goes forward. God wants us to see the world around us like this guy. And he sends us to seek them. And we seek them with him when we serve them in their need. Whether it's a child or a neighbor or anybody near to us. So the Lord is saying, let's pull our heads out of the clouds and understand the kingdom's happening right here in my classroom. Right here on my block. Right here at my work. Because that is what pleases the Father most about me and about you. So let me invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. Do that for yourself and those around you. I wonder if God isn't calling to your heart and mind right now the face of somebody who's wearing the uniform of the enemy, who's in a trench, an enemy trench, and they're near you and your temptation is just to keep fighting the battle God says hey I'm inviting you to invite them to give up will you reach out to them will you serve will you help will you bless that's what pleases me most or maybe he's calling to your attention a child in your world a neighbor maybe grandchild your own kids their friends and he's saying, hey, do you know when what pleases me most about you is when you give yourself to these kids, when you pay attention to them, when you serve them. God's inviting us to win his praise this morning, church. He's inviting you. He says it's so easy. It's in the little things. Let me call you back to the little things. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, we thank you for being so patient to teach your disciples and to teach us send us out today into this glorious sunshine, into this glorious summer understanding that we win your praise in the little things in the people near us as we serve and bless them. We pray for them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Um, I apologize for the parking lot when you came in today. I went about five minutes late in first service. That's my fault. And I'm going to apologize at third service just the same way. So just a moment. But as we close, let me ask you to do something crazy. Just one little thing, okay? I've been praying for 20 years that MRCC would become maybe the first church ever where every single person who calls that church home has made themselves available to serve kids. And so I'm gonna gonna invite you to do something this morning. Here's Pastor Allison's phone number. Maybe you would text her. Just say, hey, I'm Zach. I'm available to serve if my schedule works. Maybe every couple of months, maybe every three months. You can call on me. You can ask me. I give you permission to text me. I may not be able to do it because of work or whatever's going on, but I want you to know I'm available to serve kids. Church, that's a powerful thing. And if we please God the most as individuals when we do that, imagine how much we please him as a church maybe we can be the first church ever where everybody's available to serve kids. We're gonna leave that number up there. Let's blow up Allison's phone. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.